Yeah, you know what? I, I got to come in. If this is the song you're playing. No, but Oh, that's fine. We're on, Donnell. We're on, man. Give it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are uh, back. We are back on This American Podcast, Comedy Edition, ComedySchoolsRadio.com. Come to you from the ComedySchools.com studios, high above Old Town Scottsdale. Uh, and we have in studio a guy who I've uh, met before. I interviewed you. Uh, I was I had the privilege of speaking with you about a year, year and a half ago when I was with a, another organization. And uh, we have Donnell Rawlings, ladies and gentlemen. I'm rich, bitch! <laughs> That's the only way to start. That's the only way to start an interview, man. We got to let people know what he's talking to right out the gate, you yeah. know? Yeah. Right. You've done a lot of radio. Yeah, I have. I got fired. That means I got by fired. By Ed Lover. I didn't get fired by Ed Lover. I got fired by Clear Channel, who was working on his behalf at the time. So, yeah, I got fired by Ed Lover. Well, what was it? What, yeah, well, did you say something that made him piss him off? No, or? it wasn't. He didn't fire me. It was a situation. I, I got fired at the time when um the, the controversy around Don... Imus was like really hot in the news. Wait, he was making fun of the girls, the basketball team? So every program director felt like they had to do something to show that we're not going to be like the last radio station. I just got caught up in it. It was just a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no no hard feelings. Every time I did radio, I always got a job because somebody got fired from a job. Yeah. Or somebody, you know, switched stations or something like that. Yeah. It was always something like in between doing stand-up. I loved doing it, but, you know, just three times it didn't it didn't work out for me. I miss it, but, you know, you got to move on and do your thing. You got to. You got to. Do you, let me ask you this. Can I drink one of these waters? Yeah, one of them is for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which one? The one with the loose top? <laughs> <laughs> the one that's going to make you sleepy. <laughs> we put a little something-something in yeah, it for you. Yeah, put a little Bill Cosby yeah. magic up in there. <laughs> yeah, we want to roofie you. Put some of that, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Do you think? Do you know? And no, Bill Cosby didn't do it. Not all of them. Okay. You know, I, I do. You, do you? Uh, let me ask you. Do you? Do you believe that? Listen, that's a tough question. Somebody asked me. Said, Donnell, you think all forty-five women could be lying? And it all depends on what neighborhood you ask that question. Like, if I go to Brooklyn and ask that question, yeah, they can be like, all them bitches is lying. All forty-five. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You go somewhere else, they, you know, they don't. I'm not saying they all lying, but some of the uh, stories are very interesting. You know, what one I, lady said, "I visit Bill Cosby eight times, so it took yeah. you seven rapes to realize you really got raped." You know what I find interesting about it? I, I don't, I don't know how many interfaces you've had with law enforcement. When I was younger, I had many. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, there was always, if you had an interface with law enforcement and you had a chance to talk to whoever you were with, first thing you said was, let's get our story straight. Right. And don't deviate from the story. And every one of their stories is exactly the same. But how hard is it not to have an exact story if you heard it a million times before? Yeah. You know how hard it is if, like, I'm not saying this is the case, whatever. How hard it is if you have an uh, attorney out here just giving you the blueprint of the story? I mean, uh, it's, it's a theory that could possibly be truth or it could not be truth. Like, I get all these women together. We're going to put out this big class action suit or whatever. Everybody's going to get paid. Here's the story. Memorize this story. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean, that, that could possibly be the case and then it could be you never know you know but i think that i think that uh, um and you know we're just thinking okay that in some cases it's almost positively true but in many cases it's not true that some people are looking for a check yeah you know so i uh, mean the thing that's weird, interesting to me about the whole situation is that they're showing these women at the age they are now so you think bill cosby is having fun in a nursing home you know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're not showing the scene. Like anytime, if you look at all the stories, 99% of those stories start off with this. So we're in the Playboy Mansion. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, you know, I'm not saying that. I, I'll, I'll just put it like this. Back in the 70s, a lot of interesting things happened in the Playboy Mansion. You went to the Playboy Mansion to find and see those type of um, opportunities. Absolutely. That's, you know? yeah, that's what it was about. Yeah. That's what it was about. Uh, I lived in L.A. in the 70s. It was just all about opportunity in the 70s. So, um, you ever been to the Playboy Mansion in the 70s? I'm going to tell you something. I had one opportunity where I was invited to the Playboy Mansion, uh-huh. and uh, I had I had uh, pneumonia, and I couldn't go. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I got invited. And it wasn't in the 70s. This was like, That might have been the day Bill was there, so you got lucky, <laughs> man. <laughs> this, was many years la- this was many years later. I had a friend uh-huh. who had... Uh, uh, um, uh, been in, under the employ of uh, Playboy at one time, and she yeah. invited me up. She goes, if you want to go, it was a New Year's Eve party, and I was going to go. I mean, it was like even if you don't do anything, you just you know you go in there, you know, to hang around. And uh, but I had I had like pneumonia. I had a flu. I had one of those flus where you wake up and go, all right, well, it's only Tuesday, and it's actually Thursday, right? Because you've been out for a couple days. Oh, screwed up. Yeah, so it was uh, that was actually ninety nine two thousand. So it was a while. Right. When I was out there first in the seventies, I was the kind of guy that if I went by the Playboy Mansion, they arrested me for vacancy. So, <laughs> like, I'm staying here. Yeah, I, I had to work my way up the, the food chain in Funny. L.A. for a while, and I still didn't get to eat that much. So, <laughs> all right, so you had the, uh, the controversy with the Clear Channel. Are you? Let me ask you something, okay? Some people say that I'm a guy who's kind of like dogged by controversy. Uh-huh. I'm one of those guys who can be standing there minding my own business, staring at the sky, and somebody comes up and goes, what the hell are you looking at? And then it's on. And then it's on. Right. Is that the case for you? Because it seems... No, that's not the case for me. If you look at, I've been if I've been in entertainment for like twenty one years. Yeah. And if you look at like my record for twenty one years, I don't get into stuff. You know what I'm saying? I I'm not uh, plagued by controversy. I'm plagued by social media and cameras being around. Yeah, everyone you know is known. Yeah. So like, yeah. no, I don't I don't get in I don't get in I don't I don't get in trouble for a guy that's again been doing has been doing it as long as I have I have a pretty pretty much clean record it's just like the last three even the radio stuff there wasn't controversy it was it was bad timing you know what I'm saying it wasn't like even when I was on the radio I wasn't uh I wasn't a shock jock or anything it was just one of those things where um I was an escape goat for a situation that yeah. existed I don't get in trouble but yeah. the last three years I caught a DUI you know what I'm saying like you know, you're not an entertainer unless you catch one DUI in your career. Yeah. I had three. My friends, there you go. You're a gangster. Nobody, my friends didn't respect me until I caught a DUI. I got DUIs back when you actually had to be drunk, you know? No, <laughs> my, my situation, you didn't have to be drunk. You just had to be going around the wrong way. Yeah. And in my situation, I was in a street in New York that was one of those streets that was a two-way, but then one of those streets that turns into a one-way. Yeah. It turns into a one-way. It just so happened where it turns into a one-way. Guess who's? Five cars deep on the right hand side. The police. Guess who set up a trap for people? Because they know the chances of somebody making a mistake at two o'clock in the morning and having a couple of drinks are yeah. like 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 pretty likely. And in fact, when I got pulled over, I heard the police say on the other side, they were like this, "We got another one." Yeah. You know, they were just willing people in. So, what was your uh, blood alcohol level? I was a uh, point uh, seven, something like. So you're right on the tip. Right on the tip, and like even in the, in the police report. You know, they said his de- demeanor wasn't as if he was drunk. You know, the the, the, the touch your nose thing. It's like, yeah. and I tell people, it's I don't make fun of a situation like that because situation with me, nobody got hurt or anything. But when I was growing up, guys had their own sobriety test with each other. It was the question was this: Are You good? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. You know, and you think you're good, and you might yeah. manage yourself, but what you think 
and what the law measures as being good is totally different. So you gotta you gotta make sure you don't put yourself in position to to put yourself in position to cause yourself hardship to hurt somebody or anything. Did like that. Did you ever drink in? I drink in bars where they would like take your keys. The bartender would take your keys. I would never go to a disrespectful bar like that. <laughs> they got kind of bar. <laughs> what was that in West Hollywood? Like here, you're not gonna drive. No, give me. Now, these were like in rough house joints. Oh uh, no! Nah, where where I, I used to drink at a bar in South St. Louis, uh-huh. uh, right by uh, uh, the St. Louis shipyard, because I worked at a shipyard uh-huh. on the Mississippi River. It was a barge factory, but they called it a shipyard called Shirley's, and Shirley was a dude. You know, oh, Shirley's always a dude. Yeah. And that's a, it's Except for my, my wife, Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> my wife's not a dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. And, and he would take your keys. You're too goddamn drunk to drive. I'm not going to have the cops in here giving me shit. Cause you not can't. about your life. You just yeah, don't want the cops to come in. They want to take, you, take your keys. So, um, oh, I, used to, I went to this bar once, and I, was, I knew the bartender. I knew the owner. The bartender tried to cut me off. Yeah? He said, you're cut off. And he got mad with me. I'm like, that's so disrespectful. You was taking all my money. Now you're going to cut me off. He cut me off. I went to the owner and got him to cut me back on. But I wasn't <laughs> driving. I was in New York. I, I caught the subway. Hey, I knew guys who were heavy drinkers that moved to New York because they go, well, this, this is when you know someone's a heavy drinker. I go, why are you moving to New York? You go, well, you don't have to drive in New York. And that way I won't get busted for drunk driving. Well, that's my friend. <laughs> one of my friend uh, Craig Robinson, he was like, dude. Yeah. Craig Robinson, no, not that he got busted. He was like, the funny thing about your situation, he said, it's so many different modes of transportation <laughs> in New York. To get, like, it just doesn't make no sense. But I wasn't even, I was showing off. I had a, I just recently bought a, a 1985 uh, Eldorado Cadillac. And yeah. I was just driving. I just wanted to show my friends. And I made one stop, and it was a stop that. Was it? Uh, isn't the uh, legal limit is, uh, I think in this state, it's .08. I don't even know those. Do you numbers. know, Rob? Uh, yeah. It's .08. It's zero tolerance. It's zero tolerance, but yeah, but at least. So when I was a kid in Missouri, you know what the uh, legal limit was? Point one five. Point one five. You gotta be nice. You got to remember that Anheuser Busch was one of the biggest employers That's in, in St. Louis. Point one five, and then then it went down to point one zero, and we all went. That's reasonable. Right. You say, ah, yeah, reasonable. And then it went down to point oh eight, and we go. Oh, now you're just pushing it. Yeah, now, that's too much. What are you trying to do? Arrest babies? Because we're giving a kid a beer. That's awful. You can get that off of drinking cops' cough syrup. What's the most famous person you ever got drunk with? Uh, I was because you know a lot of Dave. Dave, Dave Dave's super famous. Yeah, no, Dave, Dave is Dave is beyond super. Yeah, famous. He's, he's a legend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, those guys, we get it in on the weekend. When we on the road, I'm like, I want to go home, man. Every night's a turn up. <laughs> they, I can't hang with those guys. I was uh, in a bar drinking with Martin Sheen. I didn't know him, but we were just in the same bar drinking and struck up a conversation. But he couldn't talk because it, was, and right. it was it was a bar on Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood, and uh, it was his bar where he hung out. And I watched him get cut off there. It was an old bartender known him since he was a kid, since he started out acting. He's going, "Go home, Marty." I go, "He's fine." <laughs> What's wrong with these bartenders having morals? Yeah, you're supposed to just let it happen. No, we care about you. No, man, you want to hear about me the next day. I want to get to the Philadelphia thing. Before I get there, though, I want to talk uh, about uh, some cool stuff. You have been involved in two of what are, are going to go down as great American classic entertainment projects. Right. You know, I mean, it's you know, John Cazale was a great actor who was in three movies. And he was in The Godfather. No, he's in four movies. Godfather, Godfather 2, Dog Day Afternoon, and Deer Hunter. That's all you need. And that's the only four movies he ever did. Unfortunately, he passed away. He did four. And all of them were these incredible touchstone films. You've been involved in two projects that, in, in I would I'd almost say 
go near that. The Chappelle Show, which is legendary, and you can, you know, you know, you know, something's funny when it hasn't been around for ten or fifteen years, and it still holds up. Yeah, the humor still holds up. Yeah, you know, the the oftentimes it's the edgy humor that falls apart. Right. You know, because it was it was only edgy for that time. For that moment. Yeah. And you were also involved in the Wire, which many people, and myself included, consider one of the best things ever done on television. The interesting about the Wire, I was on the Wire because I don't know if you know, but there was this miniseries called The Corner. Yeah, yeah, uh, Charles, Charles Dutton. Dutton. Charles yeah. Dutton directed uh, Jay, Jeff Abagov, a friend of mine, was one of the producers on that. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, so The Wire was pretty much a spinoff of uh, The Corner. Yeah. And I was in the first season of The Wire, and then, like, the Baltimore Tourism Board was upset because they was, like, the depiction that they always portray of uh, Baltimore is, like, full of junkies and everything. That's why if you watch The Wire, if you're a fan of it, it went from the towers to the next season, it went to the docks. Yeah. They had to switch it over. And my, my story, The Greek. Yeah, my, my um, character got lost in that, but I was in the first season, and then uh, David Simon threw me a bone and brought me back on the last season of, of HBO's The Wire. And when I you was, were Clay Davis's driver, exactly. She, yeah. And I was, I was, I was um, nervous because HBO. Whenever it's the last season of anything, the directors get vindictive as hell. Like the last season of Oz, it was guys getting raped on Oz that wasn't even on Oz. They <laughs> <laughs> was like, "Dude, man, I'm on Nickelodeon. I'm just, I'm just trying to go to the bathroom. I gotta go past." No, no, no. You but, gotta give it up. But I mean, for you know, lucky for me. I didn't get violated, but it is something to be said about because I think um, Entertainment Weekly or one of them they did a a special edition where they had like the top one hundred television shows of all time. Yeah, and I think that uh, Chappelle, both of them were ranked. I think The Wire was in like the top ten. Chappelle was like thirty nine. But like you say, and you're speaking of the other actor, it's kind of cool to know that you were. A part of two shows like that, sure. That were totally opposite. You know what I mean? Like one, I'm playing, I'm doing a dramatic series, yeah. And the other one, it's like a funny sketch show. So you know, I, I feel good about it. Well, you know, now we, uh, my wife and I are both, you know, huge fans of The Wire. I mean, it's one of those things where about once a year we we'll go, let's watch it again. Okay. But I was up for the the the, the, the um the character of Omar. It came down to me. And oh Michael, man! But I didn't know that he was a gay thug. Like when I had the, you know, you get. Sometimes you get the script, sometimes you get just yeah. decide to audition. And the part that I had to audition for, it wasn't him doing anything gay. It was just him being gangster. But Robert Colesbury, who was executive, um, yeah. he passed away. When I went to shoot The Wire, he said, Donnell, you know Omar came down to you and Mike. Wow. But but my character was to have supposed to have more depth than it had. My character with Clay Davis, but because they switched the storyline, it just got lost. Like, it was going to be a But still, it was a standout, because I remember it. Just one thing on the guy who played Omar, he, he seems to have a career playing gay badasses. Yeah. Because he's on some show now. What is the name of that show? It's like a Southern show. It's him. And I can't think about it. He's an awesome actor. Yeah, he's an awesome actor. And after I looked at it, you know, like, when you lose a role to somebody, a lot of times you... You can say what you want to say. You're never really super happy for him. Yeah. But after I saw <laughs> people can say, like, they, they'll tell you in a minute, like, that's so nice. Yeah. But um, that wasn't what if it, it felt like when I saw what he did with it, like, certain people, I'm like, he was, that was just, he, he killed yeah. it. He did, he did. Well, I mean, your 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 killer line there in season seven was, "You guys are trying to criminate me." Incriminate me. <laughs> funny thing, um, funny thing, Dominique West, who's also a director of The Wire. Yeah. So when we were uh, shooting that scene where I had to um, snitch on my guy, yeah, like I was nervous. I was playing nervous, and Dominique came up to me, McNulty. He was like, 
with his British accent. He was like, Dwayne, I don't think you're playing it right. I think, you know, you really want to put this guy away. You want to put him away. I said, I don't know where you're from, but where I'm from, first off, you don't snitch. Yeah. And if you snitch, you're not happy about it. Yeah. You're not like, oh, that's the guy, you know? Yeah. And I was like, what I'm trying to embody, me playing an actor, yeah. is that I don't want to snitch on him, but I don't want to go to jail more than I don't want to snitch, snitch on yeah. him. Yeah. And then he was like, "I think you're right," and it played like that. That was good. You know, it's funny because my my uh, my old man. One of the, a couple of things he told me when I was a kid was never talk back to the cops because it can beat you up, and never be a cheese eater. And I was like, I was that's all cheat. I'm like a little kid going, I, I, but I like what about cheese. I like cheese. <laughs> what about those cheese doodles? What are you talking about? That's tough for a tough dude. <laughs> Especially with mac and cheese, that could ruin. You could be scorned for the rest of your life, man. And like a teenager, and they go, "Oh, don't rat anybody out." You meant don't rat anybody out. Yeah, cheese eater. Cheese eater. That's so So funny. We know you. So, what what did you play in the first season? I'm sorry, but I'm trying to because it's been a while. The first season of The Wire. Yeah. Well, my introduction was I was Clay Davis, but you never saw me and Clay Davis together. I was his assistant. We were at a a, he had a function at at his house. And okay, I mean, yeah, I remember and I'm, that. I'm yeah. sitting at the table, and then I'm talking to the lieutenant. I didn't know who he was. I thought he was a driver like myself. Now I put it together. So yeah, so he, it was the same character. Same character. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, so um, he said, what's your name? I said, my name is, um, I told him how I would rob the whole place. He said, what's your name? I said, my name is Day-Day. But, um, I said, my name is Damien Price, but I mostly go by Day-Day. So he looks at me, and, I was, and I'm like, what's your name? He said, my name is Daniels, I mostly go by lieutenant. <laughs> right? And it was like one of those moments. And then I got arrested with $25,000 in cash. Yeah. Now, this is how you could tell, like, if you, if you follow a storyline, I was, I had to come back because there was no explanation of what happened to the money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You see me get caught with this money, and then they have to give it back. And then that's where my, my character ends. Yeah. Like, and I think they were going to work something where I was the liaison between the government which was clay davis and the streets yeah like i think that he was cleaning his money up through me some kind of way but you know unfortunately things happen they try to change the art yeah because as i'm looking back over it i'm going i'm going i was thinking that you played a different character there was a guy on deadwood who played the guy who uh uh kills uh uh, um wild bill hickok and then later comes back as another character and you're going uh you know oh no i didn't come i I want i mean i really I, i thought that i because I remember the house scene, and, yeah. I re- and, I, and, and like I said, it's about a, a couple years since I went, and I remember the scene where you're on the stand, you know, and I'm going, well, what else did he play? I didn't realize that there was a first season and seventh season. That show was so, the wire was so hot. It was interesting, like, the person that all the women went crazy about was Stringer Bell. Stringer Bell, Stringer Bell. All the girls that had the hots for, you know, it was so funny, because I was on the wire. It wasn't too many people from the stand-up world yeah. that was on a show like that. I probably was the only person, so it was a big deal to me. So people were like, you know, my intro be from the wire, and girls would see me, they'd be like, were you on the wire? I'm like, yeah, and they were like, you think you can introduce me to Stringer Bell? <laughs> I was so pissed, and I was so hateful towards Stringer Bell, but I was so happy the day he got, day he, when he got murdered. Yeah. I called okay. all those girls. Okay. I'm like, yeah, what happened to your boy now? He's dead. Cut to now he's a super movie star. So. Well, I tell you, he might be the next James Bond. Yeah. His uh, British show where he plays a detective, which is fantastic. Man, he's so, like, a lot, you know, he's just a fantastic. He was a server at Caroline's Comedy Club years ago. Let me, here's something I want to ask you. So uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Dominic West. Yeah. You mentioned Idris Elba. Okay, so you're doing this show about... It's an upstairs downstairs show, is what it, in a sense because it's it's the cops 
and it's a street. Right. So, and it's also the story of a death of an American city. Uh, but you're working with all these people, and it's a show about Baltimore, and you're talking to McNulty, okay, or you're talking to Stringer, and then they yell, cut, and they go into their British accent. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> so you're like, who is he talking to? <laughs> yeah, but that's just, just a testament of how, 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 how talented and the skilled they are. You know, it's tough. Like, it's so but, I mean, was that weird? You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, and I hated it. Like, not only, like, you to just the plot thickened, like, Dark skinned dude on the wire, string a bell with a British accent. It's like, what ass wasn't he gonna get? <laughs> you know, like on top of it, it's like, and then when women meet him, they're like, oh, he got an accent. I'm like, fuck, fuck up. You know what I found really odd uh, uh, a few months back is I turn on my television and there's that um, um, really un uh, unfortunate, sad situation that took place in Baltimore that's still playing out right now. Yeah. But I'm looking at it, and I had a I had a moment of kind of like dislocation, because I go, "Am I watching a television show or is this real?" Because where, um, uh, what was the, the the young man's name who died in the back of the police car? Freddie Gray. Freddie Gray. Freddie Gray. Mm -hmm. the, I'm looking at it. And I go, "This is where the wire was shot. Right. I recognize these streets." Well, I'm gonna tell you one thing about like the, the, what you see on the wire. Like even with the corner, it was about uh, addiction. It's about one particular family. Like it was so real. We were on location. Like. We didn't really know who was dope fiends until they said cut. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we was in places where people were like leaning. We'd be like cut. We're like no, dude, I'm real. You know, yeah. so everything that you saw, like those locations, it was real deal. It was real deal. Well, I, as I understand it, there there was a very heavy, heavy set guy who played uh, uh, the main East Side drug dealer in The Wire, uh -huh. uh, and that he actually had an acting workshop in the inner city of Baltimore where he's trying to take kids from the inner city and get them into acting. And some of the kids that were on the wire were actually real street kids yeah. that the, he had the, brought in. The, the character, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. No, the character Snoop, she wasn't yeah. was season. Mike discovered her. Yeah. Mike discovered her and brought her to the producers and was like, you know, I don't know what you can do, but this, she is such an authentic character. But that doesn't necessarily translate. Like, you have to have something in you. Like, you could see somebody that you grew up in, like, you know what, he could, that, his story, his person will be a character, but the pressure of when they say an action, yeah, and you bring it in is different. But Snoop delivered it. Yeah, straighten out his end. He uh, he beat on his end. There, <laughs> that's the end. You don't have to move your microphone. That's what we have the intern for. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, as I understand, last time I read about her, she was like having a little bit of a difficult time. Yeah, I think she went to prison for some uh, some some murder. Something she was yeah, that's that's kind of a difficult time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes <laughs> some self defense. Murder. So you you've been you've been in the entertainment business for twenty one years. Yeah. Okay. You grew up in Alexandria. Uh -huh. Okay. So in Alexandria, I've been to Alexandria is a fairly comfortable place to live. Yeah. But you're close enough to Washington D.C. that it, it's like it's like in the city of St. Louis. You have city. You got St. Louis County and across the street and across yeah. the street. So you were able to experience both sides. Uh, the entire world, in a yeah, sense. but what Alexandria for me, like you, Alexandria is like one of the, I think one of the richest counties in the country, yes, but not where I lived. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like I lived in a pocket where it was like you had like the wealthy, the well-to-do people, and then you had the people that was just like barely making. And I live, I live in that part of Alexandria, so my experience in Alexandria wasn't great. It wasn't horrible compared to like the things that were going on in D.C., but it was interesting. So yeah, so for like the young lady who played Snoop, you know. A lot of people look at it and go, well, she had all these opportunities, she blew it. But sometimes for people who have never experienced anything except the harshest of conditions, when they're placed in 
what is considered a more affluent world, it's it's a horrible, very difficult transition for them. Yeah, and it's and especially so if like like you know the way you grow is when you hang around like like minds, people that think yeah. different. You know what I'm saying? Okay, she's on a set and they're treating her like Hollywood or whatever, but when she goes home, it's probably a whole different environment. You know what I'm saying? The people that she continued to associate with probably were people that were in a lifestyle that wasn't the Hollywood glitzy thing that yeah. you think. And it's like. It's so like you can become conditioned to a certain thing where that normal is not bad to you. It's only people on the outside. Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. You know what I'm people on the outside look at it like that's horrible. But she's like, yo, yo, I'm living my life. Like she's authentic. When they when it first when the Freddie Grace Freddie Gray case started taking off and like of course, you know, the wire and everything, they interviewed her. And even her interview, she sounded like you would think that they was she was auditioning to be on the wire. Yeah. Like her voice is authentic. She's really a street chick. That's who yeah. she is. And some people, you can never change that. You can give them more money. Yeah. You can show them uh, other stuff, but that doesn't mean that that's going to change their life. Like that, that young boy Marlo. Yeah. And, and that, that that really embodied that. That here was a guy. He's there at you know he's, he's he beat the rap. He has his money. And he's at this party with the attorney who's going, now you got to meet this guy. He's one of the biggest right. developers. And he leaves and just starts a fight on the street. And he sees blood on his hand and licks and goes, yeah. that That's that's it. You know, yeah. some people live for that. It's hard, especially when you've been you've been conditioned for that your, soul, your whole life. And some sure. of those people, no matter how much success and money they get, they want to celebrate it. Who are you going to sell it with? Who are you going to celebrate with? The rich people out in the suburbs, they don't know you. So it's a cycle. You're going back to get your acknowledgement and to celebrate with the same people that some of the same people that are destructive to the community. Do you, so let me ask you this, and, and I want to reference uh, Ice-T, Ice Cube, and Tupac. Right. Okay, some people are able to make that transition and some people are, well, a lot of, you know, you know who I met one time in Los Angeles with an entertainment company I was with? I met Tupac's poetry teacher. So when people think of Tupac, they think of hardcore street. That's what you think. But that he actually went to poetry classes. He didn't just sit there and start writing on a piece Yeah, but that's another example of what we're talking about. He went to performance art schools. Yeah. His parents tried to put him in a different position. Yeah. But at the same time, you go to these schools, but when you get off and when you get out of school, you're still hanging. Yeah. But like, then someone like Ice-T or even Ice Cube, who's making family movies. I mean, Snoop Dogg has tried to make that transition right. from Snoop Dogg to lovable old Snoop. Right, he's but Snoop Dogg is a cartoon character, and I'm not saying that in no disrespectful way. Yeah. He's like he's like one of those iconic characters. Everybody from here on, he was always be Snoop Dogg. Even for a young, young generation or old generation, yeah. older people love him, younger people love him. They look at him like a cartoon. Yeah. You know? But Ice Cube, you only have, you look at these people like, you say you use the example Ice Cube, some people make it through. Yeah. I mean, some people, some people get it, and those are people that get it. Some people are come from a place of hardship, come from the streets, but then they're introduced to a person that can mentor them, yeah. that can show them a way, and they make it out of it. But that's not always the case, you know. Yeah. For every, for every like ice cube, and there's not that many ice teas. It's millions of people that don't have the opportunity, and just just get just caught up in it. Yeah, most people, most people, you know, I, I, I've said to people before, you, you're either you're either succumbing to or running from the way you were brought up, and you just hope that well, however you were brought up is going to be something that can sustain. I tell your people life. all the time; they always say, um, "I like most of my career. Uh, I, I lived in Brooklyn. I lived in some nice neighborhoods. And I lived in some bad neighborhoods. And I remember once, and this is just like the, the, the cycle of the attitude. I'm in Brownsville. Brownsville is like a really notorious yeah. area." 
And one of these dudes, what dudes on the corner, he was like, "Yo, D, don't forget where you came from." I'm like, um, "I'm talking to you where I came from." Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, how can I forget if I'm here? And it's easy for me, like, and I do those just for people could recognize me from TV, whatever they can see me. But it comes to a point where people have to go outside of what their normal conditions are. It's yeah. easy for celebrities to go to the hood and support the hood. But you know what? Why don't the hood go to where these people live now and see an, an, another side? Yeah. You have to see some, some other stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can go in there and build a basketball court, but you know what? What's wrong with you seeing this luxury basketball court? And it gives you some incentive to possibly want to work harder and do something to get those same things. Sure. Know? I used to I used to stay in Brooklyn. What was the whole name of the neighborhood? Why can't I not remember the name of the neighborhood now? It was the that very Italian neighborhood. Uh, from like Saturday Night Fever time, I can't think. Of. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So it, it was one of those where I had I used to I, I worked as a stand up for a long time, and I'd be in New York, and I had a, a friends that lived in Brooklyn, so I'd stay at their house for like a couple of months. Within an hour and a half, every Italian, you know, Bensonhurst is it? No, no? not Bensonhurst. It was um um God, what is it? Where Saturday Night Fever was uh, filmed. God, anybody <laughs> you would just look at him like you're human like Google. Like you're supposed to know. You're this. supposed to look. You know your phone. Figure it out. That movie was made before you were born. Uh, yeah. Where was it filmed? Yeah, I know a lot. You know, I get this from Rob all the time. He goes, "That was before I was born." I go, "Shakespeare was before I was born." But you still know yeah. it. On the waterfront. Was yeah, but Google is like you. Like nowadays, if kids are dumb now, they're just dumb. Yeah. Like it was so hard for me to be dumb. Like, uh. like I had to, I had to do encyclopedias. It was like you, you had to make now. And it's like you had to go to a library. Yeah, you don't even have to know how to spell a word. You can get close to it, and you got a wealth of information right there. Did you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, this is what I meant. They make you seem smart. <laughs> so, Brook, I mean, Brooklyn's. Brooklyn's uh, do you live in Los Angeles or in New York? Look, or? I live in Los Angeles and New York. So you got you got a place in in both cities. Yeah. Well, what part of Los Angeles? Hollywood. I hate to say that because it sounds so pretentious. Unless you're from Hollywood and they can know it's know. not that. Yeah, I yeah it's like Hollywood. I, I live in like where Hollywood borders Las Vegas. Yeah, you know I, used to, I lived in Las Vegas. You know, I, when I was uh, younger and uh, um, when I was uh, um, an unlicensed pharmaceutical rep. I understand. Uh, My dad was the <laughs> same profession. I lived in, near Hollywood and Western. Okay. And then later on, I moved. And then I moved up. I don't live too far from there. Yeah. I live close by, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and then, and then I lived in uh, like Las Vegas and Vermont. Okay. And then uh, at one time I also lived in like uh, I moved around a lot. Right. In, With that type all, of occupation, yeah. normally you do. Oh, but you had to stay close to your base. Right. So and then I lived in uh, like Hollywood and Gardner. Okay. You know, so um, we I know were, all those areas. Yeah. So uh, what am I looking at here? I'm trying to uh, Bay Ridge. Oh yeah, I know Bay Ridge. Bay yeah. Ridge. Yeah. Yeah. So I used look to how smart it only took him like ten <laughs> seconds to be smart. Yeah. <laughs> Bay Ridge. You imagine encyclopedias would have been here like, oh yeah. my god, man, yeah. where's this not? Well, look, that's, that's a great area. It's up by Restaurant Row. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love that area. We. Yeah. Um, I'm not. A, I, I, L.A. I, I moved to L.A. like maybe like five years ago. I was um, I wasn't getting a lot of road work, so I was like, let me go to L.A. to try to dabble to be more, yeah. do more film and television stuff. And when I moved to L.A., that's when my road work started popping off. Yeah. And like I'm like you know I'm not a working actor. I'm a working comedian. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I was supporting myself off of acting, I'd be broke as hell now. So I'm like, and I got to the point where, like, I had enough status and enough fame where I, I wasn't concerned about being a mega superstar. I just wanted to make the money from the sure. brand. So I wasn't f arguing, like, you need to be here for auditions. I'm like, okay, I'm busting my ass for audition for this 
co-starring or role on CSI or whatever, but I can go make that same amount of money on a weekend of stand-up. Yeah. You, you know, but, you know, it's, 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 a, it's like, it's a, it's a weird toss-up, but now I have a, a new baby, a 10-month-old. Congratulations. Kid. Thank you. And now I got to revisit being in Hollywood again because now I don't want to be on, on the road, road as much. Sure. I want to spend more time with him. So. I understand it, absolutely. Yeah. Isn't that, that's one of the big pluses of, of uh, uh, being a, uh, a stand-up comic. I certainly have friends. There's friends of mine in Los Angeles, and, and we go back and visit often. And uh, I'll see him and go, hey, I saw you on TV. They go, that was three years ago, man. I haven't worked in three years. Yeah. So you'll th you everybody think everybody thinks if they see someone on TV, they're doing it's, well. Yeah. That's one of the monsters that TV is. And like, and like if you you know TV, it's like okay, I've seen him on that, but you could gauge it. You like, yeah, that was a guest starring role. That was a one shot deal. Yeah. Now the money comes in when you start seeing series regular. Uh huh. Recurring, you know, you yeah. start seeing the names up there, but it's like, it's tough to make money as an actor here's where the know? money's made created by yeah created by that method man said years ago method man rapper he said i'm tired of being the chump uh i'm tired of being the um chump in the front i want to be the mac in the back yeah and if you can create work that's that's mm -hmm. better like i mean how long are your good looks are going to last you, he had you that know? great that great episode in the wire <laughs> yeah he was tell us about your dog dog <laughs> 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 I go to yeah. the stand-up comics like that episode. Nah, <laughs> I tried. Yo, I tried. They they serious about stand-up on on book, because when I was doing the wire, that scene when um when they give me my money back and yeah. I'm leaving out the office, yo, I left out that office. If they could, you could see the like the stuff that didn't make it. I left out that office. You know how uh, George Jefferson used to walk? Sure. I did the George Jefferson walk, and I put that money in my back, and I was like, some people got to have it. And they was like, David was like this, yeah, I think that might be a little too much. I was like, don't let money change. It was so funny. It was so funny. But it was great. Like, I've been, like you say about The Wire and Chappelle Show, i just been, those two shows, like, both times when I worked there, the crew, everybody I worked with, they were just awesome. Made 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 you think that you know it's a fun job, but it's what, tough at times. When you were still. on the Chappelle show, was there was there an awareness that this was going to be what it was? I mean, I think Dave and Neil didn't feel the way I felt because Dave and Dave Dave before that Dave had probably uh, ten pilots, yeah, that didn't make it, yeah. So he was probably a little burnt on that. You know the thing like, okay, if it goes, it goes. They didn't know, but I just felt like it was something special. And like I used to do a report and Neil and he's like, What's what what are the streets saying, son? Like I would go yeah. to the barbershops and stuff and I could feel the climate. Yeah. You know what I mean? For the most part, the majority of Dave's career, like he was accepted by mainstream, but yeah. the hood wasn't really checking for Dave like that. You know what I mean? That was like it was college kids that loved Dave. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was white America, we loved Dave. I'm just being straight about it. You know, but that show something about the Shell Chappelle show that gave it so much street creds. It was like it connected everybody. Blacks, white, you know what I mean, Indian. Why did Asians. he quit? What nobody, was nobody, nobody knows the answer. I wish and he, I. And he won't. He, he yeah. still to this day won't really give a clear answer. He don't give it like nobody. Nobody asks. I, I I didn't ask the question. Like I was just on the road with him last week. You know, we we have a relationship where it was unfortunate that he left, but I never like got into his business. You know, what I mean, whatever it was, it was a tough decision. People say, Donnell, do I think Dave is crazy? I say, I think you're crazy for asking me if Dave is crazy because no sane person leaves fifty million dollars on the table. Yeah, he might not be crazy, but that day, that was a that was a crazy day. Yeah, you know I mean, and it's it's a, it's something that the average person would would want you to explain. Uh huh. But 
you don't owe it to anybody. Your decisions. Now, didn't you and Charlie try to carry on? They, they try to have you guys carry on. The we show didn't a carry it on. And what happened was they had a they Charlie had, Murphy. Yeah, Charlie yeah. Murphy. They had. We were working on the season, so a quarter of the season had already been shot. You know, nobody heard from Dave. Common Central didn't know what his intent were, and like with them, that's still money. Yeah, you know what I mean. They were they were trying to figure out what can we do. Like when Freddie Prinze died, they go, "We're going to carry this show on one more you, season." You got to you got to yeah. carry it on. And, and man, Charlie, like it was it was um like it wasn't like man, Charlie didn't try to come off like we were trying to take over the show. We were just trying to say here's closure, and this is what it was. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we. Did you talk to Dave during that time? Did he no. have any feelings about this? No, he he kind of went gone gone for a while. Didn't he? He was gone. Like people told me he was going home. I thought he meant back. To DC, I didn't know he'd been home, home back to Africa. That was <laughs> it. Was it was? But for for me and Charlie, like we it, we it didn't really sink in with us because, you know, the first two seasons we weren't really making a lot of money. You going into the third season, we weren't making a lot of money. But the exposure you got, we were popular. Yeah. So I was like, we got to make some money. So I was like, we should do a tour. I came up with the idea of let's do an I'm Rich Bitch tour. Uh huh. Me and Charlie Murphy were the popular names on the show. Bill Burr was on the show, but Bill Burr wasn't a big player. He was building the show. Yeah. But I said, let's do a tour. Charlie was new, never did stand up before. I was headlining already. I was like, let me throw Bill on the show and just make it a banging ass show. Yeah. So we did like a year, man. We was killing it. Like we went from That would from, be a great show, you we and Bill Burr. And Charlie now. Yeah. Yeah. But we went from like like probably that point eight hundred thousand dollar headlining comics to like started making some money. So when Dave went in his hiatus, it allowed us opportunity to tour. Sure. So we was like, well, take your time. Let's go make some real money, you know? Was it, do you know, did Eddie have any reaction when Charlie started doing stand-up? Was there, sometimes no. you hear things where a brother's going, what are you doing? Or No, I don't think that, um, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I don't think that was the case. Like, I've been around Eddie and Charlie at the same time, and you could feel that Charlie Murphy is definitely the older brother. You know, the energy yeah. around me, you could feel that Charlie was the funny guy. Ah. But and you could tell Charlie was a funny guy growing up. Just how he talks around his family. Yeah. But Eddie was a performer. Gotcha. And I mean, Charlie was a street dude, you know, but Ed, Eddie was like, you know, Eddie probably was the one that practiced impressions. He was the performer. He was the star. Yeah. Charlie didn't have star quality. Eddie did have star quality. He did. And it's translated over, you know, so many different things. Um and you don't have to answer, you don't, but I've, I've heard that Eddie Murphy is, is not necessarily a happy man. I don't know if, um, I don't know if that's the case. I knew someone that worked with him on Pluto Nash, uh-huh. okay, which I think would make anybody unhappy. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but it would, that, 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 I, I, I agree with you, it would make you unhappy. But like what people don't understand with them three picture deals, you got one good movie, yeah. and you got two crap movies. Guess yeah. what? The two crap movies getting you the same amount as the good money. Yeah. And you, what do you, what do, you do? Yeah, the money's, yeah, the money's good. But they were, they, whenever that Eddie would come be on the set, and someone walked on and went, don't talk to Mr. Murphy, don't look at Mr. Murphy, uh, do not address him. If you don't have a line with him, don't say anything. If you have a line, say the line. And then... And when the guy was telling me this, he was actually going, he wasn't saying anything bad about Eddie Murphy. He goes, I get it. The guy who had the, had the small part on Pluto Nash, he goes, I get it. He goes, when you hit that, everybody's coming at you, and you're just, you're just looking for some quiet time sometimes. Yeah, but a lot of times, um, a lot of times it's not the, 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 the star. A lot of it is the handlers. Okay. A lot of times, like, you know, you hear so many horror stories. It's not necessarily, like, the, the, the star. It's the people around them. They get more egos, get more cocky. Uh, the people around your circle, though, well, we need this, we need this. A lot of times, it's not it's not the artist. It's the people uh, around them. 
See, I what I hear, what I and it went, once again, it's just what I hear, and I don't even remember right here. I heard that Dave Chappelle's a very happy guy. That he's, yeah. he's that he made that he doesn't regret his decisions. That he's happier where he is now with what he's doing now. Yeah. That that he's very happy with it. You know that he that he's you know like a joy to be around. You know. I know. Every once in a while, he will take a joke. He'll be like, "Son, I think I should have took that money." Right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But you know, like Dave was a, he's at that. That's a lot. That's a, a lot of money for somebody to identify with. This never had a lot of money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But also, you realize Dave Chappelle brand is so that's strong. That's basketball money. Yeah, Dave, his brand is so strong. He could go out. Yeah. Like, like for a couple of weeks, and make. Stacks and stacks and stacks. More money, you know? more money than, than you can actually spend. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I would just want to get to one more thing before we go, man. You know, you've hung here with us for, and I really appreciate it. And when I heard that you were coming in, I go, I, I, I go. I'm really looking forward to this. This guy's got a great career. By the way, uh, you're listening to Donnell Rawlings, who is at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy uh, tonight for two shows. Saturday for two shows. You're doing the Sunday show. Yes, sir. Okay. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you can catch him. And I, I seriously urge you to. Do that. He is at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, which is, hold on, this is my one sound effect, okay, because we make big money here. Okay. It's at 5350 East. Hi. <laughs> That's what you get paid That's the big bucks for. That's, I'm, I'm the you Harry should hire somebody to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's when people say you act just like Eddie Murphy, like this one button. <laughs> I got to come in for eight hours to push one button. My intern won't even look up stuff on Google. What do you want from me? <laughs> he wants your Mandy. Spot. Mandy is more spot. helpful. Yeah. Mandy, who drove me in here. And she told you she has baby. Do you still have baby fever, Mandy? I always have baby fever. Yeah, Mandy has baby fever. Tequila will do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying tequila there, would make. Hold on. Hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. Is there a story here? Yeah, that's uh, how I got pregnant with uh, tequila. You got tri- you, by a tequila bottle? Oh, that's no, awful. I know. I, I did not I drink enough of it. That <laughs> we could say that. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know if y'all were drinking tequila last night. No, no, no. I, I took it. I took it easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to leave without impregnating anybody, man. It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Uh, good luck in good luck in Scottsdale. <laughs> That's hilarious. There's comics that go, I'll pay you if I could just come there for That's a weekend. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so he's at uh, Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, uh, and it's easy to get tickets. You go to houseofcomedy.net, houseofcomedy.net. Rick told us not to give the phone number. He goes, no one's going to remember the phone number when you say it, Tony. Just give the website, House of Comedy. Is Rick in town? No. No? Mm-hmm. You know if he's in town because he'd come in. And then none of us get to say anything. I yeah. saw. I, 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 I hung out with him. And I was working with. I opened for Dave in Minneapolis, and he came on. We hung out. We had a good time. He's a great guy. Yeah, Rick, Rick's a character. But one thing I respect about him being a, being being a stand up and like having comedy clubs. Like he really cares about the comedians. You, you know, know what what I mean? and the people that he book. Some clubs just book like, okay, I know this people. This person is a draw, but he books people that are solid. You know, he solid people, and he treats them well. They 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 have uh, uh, brought some really great people and. Um, into this market that hadn't been here before and you see them you go why haven't they been here you know they've they've helped they've helped build people in this market what i like uh, what, rick is a really rare breed and i tell you why because some comics who open up clubs they're totally comic centric and they have no business savvy some business owners uh, business owners they 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 get business savvy but no entertainment savvy right but he is a, enough a combination of the two you know what that is what's that his wife his wife <laughs> <laughs> it's tammy hello <laughs> Don't disrespect Tammy. Tammy is the brain. I mean, it's a combination, but his support base is is strong, so they got a nice combo. 
That's the same thing with this. Everything here that is working, everything that is working is because of her. Because of Shirley, my producer. That's awesome. She's the one who, you know, she everything. I You need this kind of board. You need to make sure it has this. So she, you mean to tell me she taught you how to push that button up? <laughs> she did. Yeah. She did. She, yeah. she, she's the one She's the one who, uh, she's, she is on top of this show like like you, do, you don't believe. If it was just me, I would just, uh, you could put a soup can in front of me. And go, yeah, you're good to go. Put a string and go, hey, uh, anybody listening? Come on. Um, I want to get to one thing. I, I want to get to it. brought up when you came in because it's uh, funny. Uh, All right. So uh, about three months ago, yeah, about three months ago, you were uh, reminding your own business. Always, you were in the city of brotherly love. Me and Tequila were just hanging out, minding <laughs> our own business, and, trying to get somebody pregnant. And you had, and you wanted to maybe have an egg sandwich or something. Uh huh. So it was about what three o'clock in the morning. It was three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you decided to have breakfast right. at a restaurant. Right. And a mealy ensued. Yeah, it started. It started. I decided to do that, and at this particular restaurant, they had a situation like no credit cards or debit cards allowed, cash only. So I'm at the um, I'm at the counter, and I was like, "Do you have an ATM machine?" So I go to the ATM machine to get money, and at the same time, I said, "Let me go get a cigarette." I left my bag. My bag was. You in, left your bag. My, my bag was, and 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 part of me leaving my bag inside was to not give the impression that I'm taking off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But. There was a lady that worked there, and I know she has a difficult job. Three o'clock in the morning. I know she probably has people cash only people, restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know people probably dine and dash, whatever. But she just started yelling at me. You know, you need to pay. You can't leave without paying your fucking tab. You gotta pay your tab. And I was telling her, I don't have a problem with paying my tab. I had no intentions. I'm not leaving when I pay my tab. Having a cigarette, my bag's on the inside. I don't give a shit. You got. You're pay. standing outside talking to her. It's not I'm like say, you're running down the street. Exactly. I've dined and dashed before. You don't hang around and talk. You don't <laughs> hang around and talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah. <laughs> Like I'm outside talking to her, so I'm I've dined without the dash. Yeah, you know she's having a conversation with me, and I know what it was. Somebody said, probably said to her, "That's so and so," and then she was like, "I don't give a shit who he is," and I know that happens. That's why I never put myself in position uh, for people to shit on me like that, right? Yeah. And next thing she was like, "Who the fuck do he think he is? You gonna pay his tab?" I was like, "I don't have no problem." And then it just started getting crazy. She was yelling, I started yelling, and then like I'm in the middle of the festival, and a patron of the restaurant, not even an employee, tried to push me, like like push, yeah, like a hit push. I didn't know what was going on. I turned around, I swung on him. And then a big guy, 6'3", he came out and tried to swing on me. And don't let your eyes fool you. I did not get knocked out in that video. No, okay? you didn't get knocked out. I, I, I read they said you were knocked out. I looked. You weren't yeah, knocked out. But you it, yo, the internet was so horrible to me. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, looks like he was trying to get his diaper changed. Uh, it was everything. And it was like, it was a, it was a incident that got out of control over a $12 tip. You know what I'm saying? And like, I, you know, I did have a couple of drinks that night. And the next morning I woke up and I checked my emails and everything. And I get an email from TMZ like, hey, Daniel, we got a video of you in a bra. I was like, uh, I didn't even remember anybody videotaping. Do, do, do. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like they, but I'm, I'm, I'm cool with TMZ. Yeah. You know, like I, I probably could have got the story yeah. dead if I wanted. Well, here's what it, so I, I, I watched the video. I see the woman screaming at you. You're still outside. And here's where, you know, and, and what I, and, and so I didn't see any of uh, TMZ's commentary. I found and I read an article and, uh. When I read it, you left your bag inside. He goes, it's so apparent. Right. He was just going outside for a second. And, you know, if you're a smoker, you have to go outside in America. Yeah. You don't get to smoke inside. I mean, the thing that was messed up for me was, like, the way they interviewed people in the story. It was like, yeah, he was in there being a diva, one of star treatment. And, like, anybody, I didn't even have to defend myself with that. Like, anybody that's known me in my career, 
they were responding on Twitter. Like, that's not like Donnell. Yeah. they like, when we go out, Donnell tips 40%, 50%. You know what I'm saying? If I go places with my friends, and like, we try and go to a club or something, and um, the, 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 Security is acting funny. I'm never the dude like, don't you know who I am? I'm like, if they don't want to say, we go somewhere else. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not my energy. Anybody knows me knows that. It was just one of those situations where, you know, and, and come to find out later, like I've heard people, I've had horror stories from that place. They like, they do treat people nasty. Sure. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't me. I think that that's part of. I guess you only all night diner. They probably don't have the best customer service. Yeah, and like, and like, and at this, even with that said, I still understand that the lady had a tough job. Late at night, sure. I know people have. But the thing that was more disturbing for me was that when I was out there defending myself, the entire restaurant was booing me. Like, you yeah. couldn't see it. Like, they were like, boo, get them out, get them out, yeah. boo. And it was like, and this was at a time when the, all the Trump uh, the rallies and everything, it was sure. just like, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about this situation. I don't want to judge. But it was just negative energy. And, like, I'm in a profession where I'm used to people having a good time with me. And for me, yeah, like, I can deal with one person booing. Yeah. I can deal with you. But when the whole place is booing. It's a mob thing. It was it was awful. And it made me think about not just that. I was like, how does it must feel for, like, people that go to these functions, you know what I'm saying, to yeah. feel like that. And like, it was, it's a horrible feeling. And it was really bad for me because the day before – I was doing a show, and it was an older couple at the, at the beginning of my show, and they were kind of like laughing, not laughing. And as a comedian, I yeah. started having fun with them. Then they got, I was, I was, I was heckling them, and like, I guess the husband he got upset and he stood up, and he walked out. Yeah, and I did. I did what a comedy could do. I, 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 I went on the fact that the Trump stuff was hot in the news. I was like, yeah. is this a protest? I was like, get him out, 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 out. <laughs> the whole club was laughing. Yeah. They were laughing, right? And I felt weird about it. I was like, felt, it didn't yeah. feel good. Yeah. Then the next day, almost the same thing happened to me. And yeah. And then it, even the, uh, and the, the, the couple, they found my fan page, and they wrote me a letter, and they were like, yo, we just want to let you know we're not supporters of Trump. You, you people yeah. support, I'm, I'm not asking anybody political views or anything like that, but they wanted me to know that they weren't. And they was, he was like, my, my wife was a school teacher, and I felt so bad. Yeah. You know, I felt, and it was like, damn, Donnell. You know, like, it was a reason why almost the exact same thing happened to you to next day, and it kind of chin-checked me. It's an odd moment in time when all of a sudden your mind, when one, one moment you're in your reality, the reality you live in all the time, and then when violence collapses in on you. Yeah. It is It is one of the most frightening things And it was like, it was nothing, like, and I was like, damn, I like, people could judge, not even know me, and have that, that's, that's the thing that was the most that's hurtful to me. It strongest. was just like, it was like, boo. And I just got finished. I wasn't super excited about working in Philly. You yeah. know, I've had bad experience, but this weekend in particular, I was like, you know what? Philly is not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. <clears throat> I had great shows and everything. I was in a good mood. I was celebrating. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm still not going to let that lady taint what my feelings were for me. But you know, just, it's just. Um, what did you order? What, were you, what, was, what was your it breakfast? Was, uh, it was a. Uh, an omelet and like some waffles or something like that. <laughs> something simple. It was like twelve dollars or something. And I, and I came back when I went to to pay her. I tipped like sixty bucks. Sixty bucks. Yeah, but it wasn't the nice no, kind of. Tip. I know. I, I I was I was talking to them before. I go I go. He paid sixty. I go. You know what that was? That was being gracious and fuck you. And the also at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm walking on twelve bucks. Yeah. Here's a sixty dollar tip. Just to let you know. 
And by yeah. the way, the woman who was calling you all those names and stuff, she took the tip. Yeah, of course she took the tip. <laughs> Not only did she took, take the tip, some guys, when I was on the sidewalk, nobody was looking out for me or anything. This one guy, he came to help me. They wasn't trying to get my bag back. The police came and was trying to pick. He, they took my bag and took it behind the counter. He paid to get my bag from them. That's how shitty this restaurant was. You know, the road can be a weird place. And when I was on the road after a while, you know, I, I made a mistake of going to a couple of house parties. You know, hey, we're going out. I went to a house party in Detroit once where I'm going, yeah. I'm going to die at this house party. But you try to be, the thing is, like, it all depends on your character. So you try to be, like, I'm just, a, I really believe I'm just a regular person to just happen to be in a field yeah. that's celebrity driven. You uh -huh. know what I mean? So, like, I, I would probably do the same thing like yo just on some chill shit let me go to this house party but then like with this incident with me it makes me that exactly yeah like I can't, I can't put myself in positions to be treated like that yeah or for people to that's why some performers seem standoffish because you don't know and you don't know what experience they had after that if they had experience at a house party in Detroit you know and I've right. been doing stand up for about five years and I did that I never went to another house party. Right. I, I, I stopped going out with the staff. Right. You know, I went, you know, it can go weird. Because there were a couple times. Where I was and that was my thing. Like, my thing, any club that I go, my thing has always been, like, last night, Sunday, you got the show. I always take the staff out. Yeah. I buy drinks. Because at the end of the day, the people that really promote you is, like, the staff that work at a comedy sure. club. And it's like, and I know that they deal with so many assholes. So yeah. often, I'm like, you know, let me be, like, different from everybody else have a good time but it's kind of tough man now you've been in standard for like 20 21 years yeah okay so is it been so uh, we did a um, we did a fundraiser at, at another club the other night and um uh, for uh, for the democratic party and uh, for five minutes their video playing before were famous comics tell the audience shut up oh, shut yeah. up shut up shut up so I, you know, I stopped. I stopped touring as a stand-up in 2000, which uh, didn't break anyone's heart. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no one noticed for a while. They go, "Oh, right. we thought you were just, you know, we thought we thought you knew not to call this club again." Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but has is the heckling gotten even weirder now? I don't get heckled. You don't get heckled. No, and then like it's it's different. Like when I first started, like I think you deal with when you go to like when I first started, it was like. I didn't have a name, so it was the comedy club and promoters that had the name. So, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It was like you performed like in a packed house, but it wasn't your audience. So, yeah. with that said, people can get crazy. But now, like, because I'm uh, I'm a name now, yeah. I'm being cocky about saying that, people don't necessarily go out to fuck with that person. Yeah. They go out to enjoy that person. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, this is this is a weekend, this is date night. I'm, it's not like, you know, like Chocolate Thursdays where like, you know, like Comedy Explosion Fridays. It's yeah. different. But I also think early in your career, when you don't have enough experiences, you don't know how to deal with hecklers. Like right now, I don't know if there's a situation that I haven't seen. So if it presents itself, I know how to deal with it. Yeah. And I found out the best way, uh, Bernie Mac told me this years ago, best way to deal with a heckler is ignore him. Once you yeah. talk to him, you, you, you put him on the same level as you like I've seen comedians like this yeah what do you got to say now that's stupid that's like a, a police officer giving a, a thug the gun I've seen hecklers start up drunks not so much hecklers but drunks where the management I've been on both sides I've been on stage I've been, and I've ran the room and where we've gone over and dealt with the drunk and quieted down the drunk and a few minutes later 
the comic turn and go, yeah, what do you got to say about that, heckler? Well, now he's giving the heckler permission again. But I, I, I'm going to tell you why I think you don't have a lot of hecklers, okay? And you mentioned Bernie Mac. You know they're doing a biopic of the uh, uh, the Kings of Comedy. I didn't know. That. Yeah, that, that's in the works right now. Uh, but um, they asked Jerry Seinfeld one time. They go, you don't have a lot of hecklers. And he goes, yeah. And they go, why? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I guess because I write really good jokes. And I think the reason you don't have a lot of hecklers is because you put on a really fantastic show. And that's and, and you're absolutely right about that. Like some people, are like oh, that crowd was rough. I'm like, no, you suck. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you never can. Bl- it's never the audience. It's because yeah. it's, it's our job to 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 put them in a place to have yeah. a good time. Uh, it's it's ne- like, and you're absolutely right. If you're saying some funny shit, if you're doing something funny, the guy told me years ago, if you're doing something funny, people want to see. They're going to see. Yeah. If you're saying something people want to hear, they're going to listen. Like, yeah. I've had situations where I've been on stage where, like, microphone failure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, like, some comments are like, oh, my God, when I'm performing, I'm like, you know what? I, I have to slow my cadence down. It's going to be a different uh, a cadence. But yeah. if I'm saying something, they're going to listen. Last night, I dropped the mic. I was literally in the audience. Yeah. Different positions. And, and, and what my friend told me, like, I had people turning around. Because what I was saying was interesting. Yeah. They turning around. Sure. Didn't have a mic. They, yeah. My voice wasn't as loud as, we, you know, without the mic. But they, they, they tuned in. So yeah. it is a testament of if you're a good performer, people are going to listen. If you don't make excuses, if you're a shitty performer, you're just a shitty performer. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the light. Well, so. you know what? So they need they need to come out and see you this weekend, man. So we uh, we got to wrap up. Unfortunately, I would talk to you all day, and then you would, all good. and then you would you'd, you'd be too tired to do the show because I, I would have enough energy to push your button forward. That's, <laughs> that's all I need. Push my, my no, one, uh, and you do it with two fingers, man. You're a gangster. Yeah. <laughs> 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 We've been speaking with Donnell Rawlings. Donnell Rawlings uh, from the Wire and the Chappelle Show is in town this weekend. He is at Rick Brunson's House of Comedy. 5350 East High Street. It's easy to uh, be able to purchase tickets. I'm not saying it's easy because it, it's easy to be able to get to the uh, site. It is houseofcomedy.net, houseofcomedy.net. Donnell, man, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks We for wish you uh, luck and everything, and uh, maybe I'll run into you next time I'm in L.A. because we stay down by the crossroads of the world. We maybe we can go to there. a diner and order some um, pancakes and With some waffles. Pancakes and waffles. <laughs> and what I'll do is I'll get up first. And go, I'm going to the bathroom. Oh, uh, then we'll turn it racial, man. Like, why you didn't stop the white man? You let him piss anytime he wants to. <laughs> you listen to ComedySchoolsRadio.com. We'll be right back. <laughs>